It's time now for Empowered Family Talk with Francita Hallris. Do you want to empower families and young people in your community? Then take the time to make a tax-deductible contribution to the Coach Tate Fund. The Coach Tate Foundation is dedicated to helping young people and their families in learning and passing on the kinds of life skills that we all need to succeed. All too often, we hear about kids and their families having encountered life's difficulties that could have been easily avoided by knowing better decision-making skills. From anger management to money management to something as simple as learning to manage how we spend our time or how we use our job skills. Make a donation to the Coach Tate Fund. It'll help kids who need help and their families too. Make your contribution to the Coach Tate Fund. Get details at www.coachtatefoundation.com. And oh, by the way, thank you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Good morning. It's family time. And welcome back, listeners. Our topic today is entitled The Promised Land Inheritance on Our Pathway Forward. Now let's talk about it. The land, a thermometer of covenant faithfulness. With great land comes great responsibilities. Land plays an important role in the Bible listeners. Genesis begins with humans living in the Lord's presence in a divinely gifted land. Revelations ends with redeemed humans living in the Lord's presence in a fully renewed land. Everything in between is the development of God's people in and out of God's land. So we can't relegate, quote, the land, unquote, to the role of scenic background or maps. We need to take, quote, the land, unquote, seriously and appreciate its ongoing significance for us today. We hope you'll see how this land was God's to give and God's to take away. It was both a gift and a responsibility, which makes for a pretty interesting story when humans get involved. Now, listeners, one way to do this is to trace the repeated, quote, land slash exile, unquote, cycles with an eye towards three concepts. The land as a divine gift. Number two, the land under divine ownership. And three, the land as a thermometer of covenant faithfulness. So listeners, let's break these cycles down, starting in the beginning. Now, cycle one, let's notate these cycles, listeners. Cycle one, humans inherit and forfeit the whole world. In the beginning, God creates a beautiful garden, paradise, 
teeming with lush vegetation where life can flourish and creatures can live. He makes humans, Adam and Eve, in his image and gives them the land, quote, the garden and beyond, unquote, to rule over in such a way that they represent his good, kingly rule to all the earth. Can God do this, is the question? Absolutely. As creator, king, and owner of the earth, God has the right to give the land to humans. What a gift. Seriously, has anyone given you the world lately? To say that the land was an agricultural paradise for Adam and Eve is an understatement. That said, the description we get in Genesis 1 through 2 is not primarily an agricultural one, listeners, but a the theological one. The land was ultimately a locus, quote, a fixed position or center, unquote, for relationship with God. There in the land, humans walked with him in the cool of the day. There they experienced his grace. There they were to rule over his world. Their relationship with God was inextricably linked to the land. He gifted to them. To live in the Lord's land was to live with the Lord. That's the best part. But his gift was accompanied by one condition, listeners. Humans were to trust God and follow his commands in the land. The context for their obedience. If they obeyed God, they enjoyed the land. If they disobeyed God, they forfeit the land. After all, the land is still his. He retains the right to take the land back at any time if humans aren't living faithfully in it. Thus, the land serves as a thermometer of sorts, gauging human fidelity to God. If Adam and Eve are still in the land, clearly they're obeying God's word. But if they're not, well, you know how the story goes, listeners. Humans rebel against God and turn away from life to embrace death. They forfeit the garden, the land, through their sin and are banished from God's presence. The worst part, they are exiles. And it's not pretty, listeners. Genesis 4 through 11 traces the downward spiral of humans living outside the land, away from God's presence, culminated in the building of Babylon, through who humanity's sin and selfishness, everyone is in exile, banished from their true source of life. That's just the first, quote, land slash exile, unquote, cycle. The story continues, but this time the focus is on Israel. Listen to cycle number two. God brings humans back into the land and they forfeit it again. The good news is that God doesn't abandon the whole creation project. He chooses to redeem and restore humanity 
starting with a guy named Abraham. From the smoke and the rubble of Genesis 11, God calls and makes a covenant with Abraham, promising to multiply his descendants, give him some amazing real estate, and make him a source of international blessing. Genesis 12, 15, and 17. Admittedly, the promise of Abraham's, quote, seed, unquote, occupies much of Genesis. But as the Torah unfolds, it's the land of promise that takes center stage. In fact, the land becomes one of the most prominent features of the story, almost as if it takes on the role of a lead character. For example, the prophet Jeremiah speaks to the land, quote, O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord, unquote, Jeremiah 22, 29, and then goes on to say, quote, because of the curse, the land mourns, unquote, Jeremiah 23, 10. Now, can a piece of real estate hear God's word or mourn the curse is our human question? Of course not. The point is, the land through every stage of Israel's history, quote, promise, conquest, possession, misuse, loss, and recovery, becomes so central to Israel's covenant experience that to speak of the land is to speak in terms of Israel's special relationship with Yahweh. It was the place that guaranteed restored intimacy with God and promoted humans flourishing. It was a new garden, a new paradise. Ultimately, it was God's gift to God's people to enjoy God's presence. Pretty sweet deal, right, listeners? Now, this brings us back to the divine gift, the ownership concept. Just as God had the right to give the whole world to Adam and Eve, he has the right to give the land to Israel as an expression of his covenant commitment to them. Now, to be clear, this gift has nothing to do with their righteousness. Their land, comma, as well as their existence as a nation was based on God's electing love. Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6. It was a gift, listeners. But that gift is accompanied by ethical responsibilities. Israel may possess the land, but the Lord owns it. So they remain accountable to him in what they do with it. It's not a, quote, one and done, unquote, type of deal. It's the context for ongoing obedience to God and faithfulness to God, family and neighbor. Everything they do in the land, from establishing territories to pruning trees, is an opportunity to serve and obey the Lord. But what if they don't obey? Then they forfeit the land. Leviticus 25, 23 says, quote, The land is mine, and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers, unquote meaning God could withdraw his protection and allow Israel to become like landless foreigners again if they broke his covenant. This is where the land serves as a thermometer of covenant 
faithfulness, listeners, revealing the spiritual state of the nation. Now, sure, Israel may perform all the external religious rituals, but the one reliable way of gouging Israel's true faithfulness to Yahweh is their occupation of the land. The covenant curses saying that disobedience will result in loss of the land and exile from their home. Something the prophets won't let Israel forget as they flagrantly reject God's kingly rule. But it's all to no avail. Israel rejects Yahweh in lieu of pagan nations and their gods. They're no longer a, quote, like to the nations, unquote. They're just like the nations. It becomes obvious there's only one recourse, exile. In fulfillment of the covenant curses Moses predicted back in Deuteronomy 28, God's people are sent in exile. They finally taste the unavoidable consequences of centuries of disobedience. They're once again strangers and exiles living in an oppressive foreign land. It feels like deja vu. Cycle three, listeners. God brings humans back into the land, but to them, it still feels like exile. As if being reduced to refugees in a strange land isn't disoriented enough, the enormous sense of national disruption produced by loss of the land would have been crushing. Israel understood their relationship with God and the inheritance of land to be two sides of an inseparable coin. The exile undermined their entire framework. They never thought they could be disinherited. But now that Jerusalem lay in ruins, they had to reconsider the nature of their covenant relationship. They were asking the hard questions, listeners. What of their identity now? What was their God? Where was their God? And how did the land fit into their current status as exiles in their own land? The prophets arrive on the scene to make sense of these questions, listeners. They confirmed that the loss of the land was a horrific fracture in their relationship with God. But it wasn't the end of it. Ezekiel reveals that God is alive and well in Babylon, reigning on his mobile throne, while Jeremiah speaks hope for God's people despite the destruction of the temple. God's people are not cut off forever. They could experience the covenant blessings of relationships with Yahweh again through repentance and renewed obedience. Even in Babylon, this reoriented their understanding of the land. The theological concepts such as security, blessing, and responsibility remained intact, but they now made room for life with God, even in exile. And listeners, this reorientation is a pivotal moment in redemptive history. Israel may have lost the land, but they were still God's people, which prepared the way for widening of God's purposes in the world to embrace the Gentiles. 
in a way that Israel had not previously envisioned. Salvation is no longer tied to a specific space or limited to one ethnic group. In fact, Ezekiel anticipates the broad scope of salvation when he outlines the boundaries of the new land and commands Israel to give an inheritance to all the foreigners amongst them. Ezekiel 47, 21 through 23, listeners, when God gathers his people from the land, it would be people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. With that said, exile is still exile. The people long for the day that Ezekiel and Jeremiah both prophesied about. They said God would gather his remnant from the nations and restore them to the land and do a new work in their hearts, causing them to love and obey his commands and walk in covenant faithfulness. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28 and Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And God does list us eventually bring them back into the land. But it's not exactly what the prophets envisioned. They're in the land, but oppressive empires rule over them and treat them as outcasts and aliens. And there's no radical change in their hearts. They still love their sinful, idolatrous ways. Apparently, you can be in the land and still feel like you're in exile. We all know that feeling, don't we, listeners? The world is our home, but it's messed up. We experience lots of pain, trauma, suffering, much of which comes from our own sins. So the human condition is kind of like that of Israel when they re-entered the land. They're back, but they still feel lost. Cycle four, listeners. And the final one. God reserves the land slash exile cycle through Jesus. The Old Testament ends with the curious fact that God's people are simultaneously, quote, in the land, unquote, and, quote, out of the land, unquote. Generations pass in this uneasy state until the long-anticipated descendant of Abraham shows up on the pages of the New Testament. Through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he reverses the, quote, land exile, unquote, cycle, going into exile on our behalf and then giving us the land he inherits. And here's how, listeners. Jesus lives, the, lives life like the true human and true Israelite, obeying God's word and living by the Torah. He trusts God's definition of good and evil, even when faced with the cross. He loves God and loves man, showing particular concern for the oppressed, the outcast, and the marginalized. He's the only one who deserves the land, yet he chooses to live without a home, going around teaching others what relationship with God is all about. And through his teachings and his miracles and his healings, he creates little pockets of, quote, land, unquote, on earth 
where people can experience the life, love, and rule of God. Then, to our horror, he's sent outside the city to suffer as an exile, executed by oppressive powers and banished from God's presence here on earth. On the cross, Jesus fully identifies with our experiences of exile, except ours was a mess of our own making. And then suffers in our place, dying and rising from the dead to inherit the world and brings rebels like us back into the land. Now, those who identify with him through faith and repentance are brought into the presence of God and given the world as our inheritance. Now, let me say that again, listeners. Now, those who identify with him through faith and repentance are brought into the presence of God and given the world as our inheritance. That's right. You heard me, the world. You see, listeners, the redemptive purposes of God that began with Israel and their land find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, the offspring of Abraham who possesses the world. Through our union with Jesus, we too possess Abraham's inheritance. In the great commission, Jesus tells his followers that all authority has been given to him and then sends them into the earth with that authority to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 8, 28, 16 through 20. Today, Jesus' followers continue to go to the ends of the earth to spread the gospel, proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins. We create little pockets, listeners, of, un, of quote, land, unquote, as we gather together as God's covenant community to experience his power and his presence. This covenant, listeners, this covenant community is a diverse, multi-ethnic people from every nation, every tribe, and tongue who live together under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, King Jesus. Hallelujah. Though we're co-heirs with Christ now, we eagerly all await the final day of redemption when we will dwell permanently in the presence of God in a renewed garden paradise unhindered by sin or suffering. The land that was received and lost by Adam and Eve and by Israel surely pointed to this land, but the recreated land will supersede the garden and Canaan in every way. After all, we will see Jesus face to face and walk in unbroken intimacy with him and his people in perfect covenant faithfulness. Whitney Woolard. Amen. This broadcast is supported by donations as well as liking and supporting Empower Family. You can go to www.francina.com, which is P-H-R-A-N-T-C-E-E-N-A.com and press donate. And welcome back, listeners. And let's notate submittal number two. What is the significance of the promised land in the Bible? Well, 
Quote, the promised land isn't just the physical land, listeners, that God promised as a heritage to his people. Some refer to heaven as the promised land. God's eternal promised land is the heritage of all who come to him through his son. The next question, what is the significance of the promised land in the Bible? Same question, quote, my life is like this abandoned pile of junk, unquote. The thought permeated my mind as the smell of the city garbage penetrated my nose. Sweat trickled down my face as I took another sip of my latte and smirked at the irony. On a hot Saturday morning, I stood in the middle of the city dump and surveyed a massive pile of lumber that my friend was about to retrieve as lumber carpentry art. I had just been let go from a job. That was my everything. As I stood there in the 88-degree heat, I couldn't help but replay the moment I was asked to hand over my badge as a high-profile journalist. That job was everything, and I didn't understand why God would allow this to happen. Looking back four years later, this moment was the beginning of my wilderness with God. He had ushered me into the desert much like the Israelites. Why is this so significant, listeners? Because the wilderness years are the grounds in which God sifts and refines our spirits and hearts in order to mirror his. If he cannot cultivate the grounds of our hearts to mirror his reflection and character, how can we function much less reflect his image in the promised land, listeners? If Israel was ever going to enter and abound in the promised land, they would first need to walk through the wilderness with God's word in their hearts. They would first need to know how to be brought low, Philippians 4.12. Like me and possibly like you, listeners. They would need to be taken into the desert and learn the only thing they would ever need is Jesus. Exposed in the desert. Have you ever had your hopes dashed, a devastating thing happen, or a situation never seems to get better, listeners? That's often what the wilderness season feels like. The Israelites felt the same way. They were set free from the Pharaoh, but they were far from being free from the sins of complaining, lack of trust in God, and stubborn hearts. Their 11-day journey to the promised land turned into 40 years. In fact, many of those who left Israel never saw or entered the promised land, listeners. Instead, they wandered the wilderness in a constant cycle of complaining, worshiping idols, and watching God respond. This is why God called them into the wilderness. The wilderness is defined as an uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable region. Do any of these things sound comfortable to you listeners? They're not supposed to be. It's not a comfortable place to be because it's temporary. The wilderness is a womb in which God's character can grow if you let it. It is a make or break kind of season. Its purpose is to free you from sin and bondage so you can be transformed into the person God has called you to be. Our wilderness seasons, listeners, do not create the cancer that comes out of us. It exposes what is already there, but hidden 
under distractions and business and abundance. Because God loves us, he puts these idols in plain view so we can see them, deal with them, and deal with him, and bury them in the desert. There's no place for them in the promised land, listeners. Romans 8, 14 through 17 reminds us of this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, quote, Abba, Father, unquote. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Praise God. What is the significance of the promised land? Well, depending on how the term is used, the promised land represents either a physical location in Israel or, quote, a place or situation where someone expects to find great happiness, unquote. When you examine the true meaning and origin of the promised land, you will find it first referenced in Genesis 12. This is the introduction of God's involvement and movement in the promised land. He instructs Abram, before God renamed him, Abraham, to leave what is familiar to him and go to a land that God predestined for him and his descendants. Quote, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Unquote. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Later, God promises him a land flowing with milk and honey. It's just not just the land that God promised the Israelites. Israel acquired the promised land only through God's guidance and his miraculous intervention in history. Read Exodus 33, 14 through 16 and Psalm 44, 1 through 8. At that time in the Bible, listeners, the boundaries of the promised land were from the river of Egypt, called the Nile, to the Euphrates, Exodus 23, 31. Today, it includes modern-day Israel, including Gaza and the West Bank and Jordan, as well as parts of Egypt, Syria, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. Promised land isn't just the physical land that God promised as a heritage to his people. Some refer to heaven as the promised land. God's eternal promised land is the heritage of all who come to him through his son. John 14, 6. It's also figurative in terms of our relationship with God, listeners. Today's more modern definition of the promised land speaks about a better life, a better situation, joy in the Lord and living the abundant life he promised us. It comes through our obedience and love for our almighty God. Today, listeners, if you are standing in the middle of the wilderness, or perhaps you're standing on the edge of the promised land, 
Remember, he will never leave you or forsake you. The journey you are on will have a victory in Jesus. Praise God. Embrace the wilderness moments, listeners, knowing that it will give way to the promised land with Jesus Christ. Submittal. Amen. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And during our close, our reflection time, listeners, let's take some time and ask ourselves these questions daily. Are we leading by example today for our next generation? How can we lead somebody up when we can't lead ourselves? The last question to ask yourself, looking in that mirror, ask yourself, what does my own promised land inheritance look like? What does it sound like, smell like, taste like, feel like? And what does your promised land inheritance sense like? Listeners, are you paying attention? Amen. Our closing poem today is submitted by Will Barber and is entitled, The Promised Land. The promised land is anywhere. Good men do not live in fear, but a liar must take care, lest the neighbors idly stare and suddenly avert the eye when they see him passing by. The promised land is any place where a thought may dwell in peace in a garden, whether of the earth, the soul, or others' love. When the brain goes calm and free, the mind may dwell there peacefully. The garden gate is open wide. Any guest may come inside and see the blossoms there that weave such symphonies, perhaps to leave, carrying in unfettered mind memories of the promised land. Amen. Many years I've been looking for places called home, but I failed here to find it, so I must travel on. I don't care for fine mansions on dirt, sink, and sand, or build me a cabin in the corner of glory. Empower your family with the dynamic new book by Francina Holrus, Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are. It's the book that gives you insights into life's problems. Francina Holrus is an author, motivational speaker, and national broadcaster who believes the answers to your problems lies within the knowledge that was once traditionally passed down by families. But that knowledge has been short-circuited by today's faster pace. The book, Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are, brings that accumulated wisdom to the problems that all families face. You'll find Find your copy of our sixth sense and purpose, the power in knowing who you are at Amazon and at better bookstores. Empower your life with the dynamic new book, Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are by Francina Holrus. 
Thank you for joining Francita Hallress on Empowered Family Talk. Tune in next week 